this last Monday, six days ago, I came on into the office. It was a normal Monday, so I thought. Monday's the day when I start getting the message going for the next week. I want to get all that energy back in and, and, and get an idea so I can marinate on what the Lord might be saying to all of us on a Sunday morning for six days. So I come in, not really thinking anything about what the day's going to be like, and did a few odds and ends, went to lunch with Amy Wadlow. We had a quick meeting, and we came back, and as we came back, we were walking up the driveway here, the driveway, the, the walkway, and I noticed, Amy and I both noticed, that the windows in the little shed were broken out. I said, oh, we better go check that out. And so we walk over and we begin to look to see uh, what, what was in the shed. We mostly use it for storage and could anything have been stolen? As we're, we're looking through the window, I see a package of underwear. And I'm making a joke. I bet you somebody broke in just to get these underwear. <laughs> That's so funny, Andrew. And so we're opening the door and it kind of won't open all the way. And, and sometimes those doors kind of get swollen with the rain. And so we didn't think really much about it. And so as, we're, as she's pushing on the door just to turn the light off, she hears a sound. It's a voice. There's a guy inside the shed. And all of a sudden, I go over to the window that's been broken out in the far right corner and then by the doorknob, as you might imagine, and this little face pops out. And I said, what are you doing in there? Because you don't know what to say. There's no rehearsal for this. They don't teach you what to say in seminary to a homeless person who decides to break in and make his home in your shed. And I'm a little bit nervous, but I'm also a street pastor, so I'm used to talking to people who don't have a home. I said, this is not okay. I'm starting right out being very firm because I know that I can't get firm later. What is going on? Why did you break out the window? And his little face is, did this little, like this. He says, oh, sir, I, I was really cold. I fell in the river. I think he meant the creek. And, and I was really cold. And so I took all my clothes off and I came in here. So wait a second, let me get this straight. You are naked in our little shed, uh, warming up. Whoo, I really don't know what to do now. And I said, I'm gonna have to talk to my team and figure out what to do about this, thinking that that was gonna be like a, the, the prompt that you should probably get dressed and leave. So I walked over to Amy and said, Amy, what should we do? She said, I don't know. You're the boss. <laughs> okay. She said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to call the cops. She said, well, you should call the cops then. I said, I don't know what the right thing to do is. And so I'm pacing back and forth. I'd like to tell you that I was like incredibly spiritual at that moment, that I just prayed and asked the Lord for a word on what to do. I didn't. I was just like, I feel so responsible right now. I don't know what to do. So I called the police. I had a wonderful conversation with the dispatcher. You know, the police actually come out and have an annual meeting out here. We let them use our facility and they take their their group picture every year on the, on the lawn. So as I'm talking to the dispatcher, I said, I think you know exactly where I am. Yes, I know exactly where you are, Andrew. She says, he's still in there? I said, yeah. She said, oh, well, can you describe him? I said, I don't know. I only saw his face and I'm pretty sure he's naked. He, she said, what? He's naked? I said, well, that's what he said. Oh, okay, we'll send the guys out right away. So the guys show up and I am wrestling because I feel like the Lord is reminding me of the words of Jesus where he says, I desire mercy 
look, in, look at the, the scroll of Hosea, he says to the Pharisees. And this is rolling through my mind. And yet I'm so ticked that you broke the door and this is going to cost us money. And this is like so inconvenient. And I don't know if anything's stolen. And this might be a mess. Do you ever feel like that? And yet you're trying to hear God's voice in the midst of it. And so in the midst of it, the police come. There's like six police officers. I'm pretty sure we don't need six police officers for this little white homeless naked guy in our shed. But okay. And they bring a dog and you never know. So they're, they're, being, they're being careful. And so they went and had him come out. At this point, we're all going like this. Should we look? Should we not look? This young man has pulled up the, one of the pairs of underwear that were in the shed. And that's all he's wearing. Now sitting on the walkway. Long story short, because it is a long story. It's a fun story, but we don't have a lot of time this morning. I walked up and began a conversation with him. And I explained, if, if, if you'll leave, we won't press charges. Some of you immediately are offended right now. And I understand that. Because you're, you long for justice. But Jesus says, I desire mercy. Every situation is different. Depending upon your business and what's going on, I understand that. But in this situation, as God spoke to me, he was saying, be merciful. And so I began a conversation, the police leave, and I'm sweeping up the glass so he doesn't walk through the glass with his bare feet. And he began to explain to me that he's from West Virginia originally, that he only got here a week ago. And he began to weep as he talked about being a pastor, once was a pastor, and the church was so cruel and mean to them, especially the elders, that his wife not only left the church, but left him. And he's just broken. And I got a chance to minister and love him and pray for him. Bought him a little bit of Arby's. We got him a sweatshirt. And as I'm dropping him off at the tourist shelter, he says, would you ask your people to pray for me? Here's this picture, by the way. Interestingly enough, along the way, he mentioned to me, yeah, my dad is an evangelist and a music for evangelists. In fact, his dad has even done music for Billy Graham crusades. So I reached out to his dad because if that was my son, I would want to know that my son's okay. Even though he's the prodigal son, even though he's far from home, even though he's been strung out on drugs, although he was sober this day because he slept for a long time in the shed. I am so challenged by the mercy of God. This whole series we've been going through about discovering these mysteries of God all really have to do, I think they all come down to God's mercy. Us walking in the mercy of God. He has shown you, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to love mercy and to walk justly and to walk humbly with your God. Micah 6, 8. So as we finish up this series that I've been calling Discovering the Mysteries of the Kingdom, Nine weeks ago, we started with me dressed up like a detective talking about trying to discover these mysteries with your big giant magnifying glass. The fact that Jesus has left mysteries for us in parables and in plain sight to be discovered by us if we're willing to go and search for them. And whether it's 
loving like Jesus, caring like him, serving like him, doing what we see our father doing and join him, joining him in the work, living spirit-empowered lives, being a person of peace who the Holy Spirit lives in, but looking for a person of peace on our block or in our life, or sharing Jesus like we talked about last week. These are all principles that are timeless from God's word and right there in the open waiting if we're willing to apply them. And the truth is, I believe that Christians are 3,000 uh, verses overweight. Not pounds, verses. If we just applied like 10% of the stuff that we would know, oh my goodness. So this is more about surrendering to God and walking in obedience. This morning we're gonna talk about this last secret, investing, the secret of investing in a few. And this all comes from our friend Lynn Corey's book, he joined me on stage just at the end of last month. Jesus' Secrets for Advancing His Kingdom Today. You can grab it on Kindle or also on Amazon. It's a great little read about how to advance the kingdom. And specifically for Lynn and for me, it's all about loving our actual neighbors, the people in close proximity to us. And that's a little bit of what we're going to talk about this morning as we go after this idea of investing, investing in a few as we look at what Jesus did and this guy named Barnabas in the book of Acts, we're going to see this, the power of investment in a few versus trying to go after everyone. And just to finish up this series, my heart is that this mindset that Lynn writes about and that we've talked about this, these 10 weeks will really begin to take root in our hearts. So, the other day, when I encountered our friend, and I'll call him our friend because I don't, I don't feel at liberty to share his name, I felt like there were two commands rolling around in my mind. In fact, I was kind of ticked. I'm like, this is the when I'm supposed to be doing my message, and this took a bunch of hours. And the Lord said, don't you think you might be actually, I might be preparing you for your message by doing this? Okay. The first command that came to mind is Jesus's command, which is in John 13. It simply says, a new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. This is how we show who Jesus is, loving one another. Lynn and his book, if you read the chapter this week, this, this eighth chapter, gives a quote from Jerome, an ancient historian around AD 400. And Jerome's talking about John the Apostle, the one who wrote down Jesus's command in John 13. Jerome says this, the blessed John the evangelist lived in Ephesus until extreme old age. His disciples could barely carry him to church and he could not muster the voice to speak many words. During individual gatherings, he usually said nothing but little children love one another. The disciples and those in attendance were annoyed because they always heard the same words. They said, teacher, why do you always say this? And John replied, because it is the Lord's commandment. And if it alone is kept, it is sufficient. 
If we lose everything, we must not lose the command of Christ. For it is the, the rule of life that will always take us back to doing the right thing. And sometimes love is very, very costly. The second command that kept springing to mind was the one I knew I was going to mention today. And that is from Matthew 28. If you were in boot camp, this was one of the last verses we had you memorize. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We all look at these verses a little bit differently. My friend Gaylord would point to this command and say, this is the command of Christ. Teaching disciples, learners, that this is critical. Don't lose this. And I would agree with Gaylord. The command in this verse is actually to make disciples, not to go. In the Greek, therefore go as, is a as you're going kind of reference. As you're going, make disciples. Disciples are learners, apprentices, those who would follow a teacher, a rabbi, would learn from him and try to imitate him in every way to become like the rabbi. So as you're going is like an on-the-job training thing. While you're doing life, wherever you are, that's the classroom. You're to make disciples. It just, it means that in the natural flow of life, this is what we're to be about, our Father's business, and obeying the command of Jesus to make disciples. Where do you do this? I've always said you do this at home, you do this at work, and you do this at your third place. Now, I know our friends at Starbucks, and Howard Schultz said, your third place. We want Starbucks to be your third place. Starbucks doesn't have to be your third place. Your third place is wherever you find yourself building relationships. I like the way Lynn Corey said it in his book, where the wares are with common family, which is your immediate and your extended family, with your common community, which would be like your neighborhood, and with those who have a common interest. So those at work, those at school, those who also like mountain biking, those who also teach, those who also love the 49ers, whatever those interests are, those are the places with those people. Now in Matthew 28, there's an emphasis here on obedience. It's something that oftentimes gets overlooked as we talk about making disciples. How do we teach someone to obey? That seems like a tall order. So I was praying about that this week. How do I teach people to obey? And I think for me, it came down to a couple things. One is I need to model it myself. If I don't teach, if, if I'm not living it out, but I'm teaching someone else to do it, I'm a hypocrite. I've got to model it. I've got to live it out. Even when I model it out poorly, at least I'm being vulnerable and living this out. I need to model it. I need to talk about it. It can't be the best secret, best kept secret. And I want to explore new ways to do what God says with others. So this last secret, this idea of investing in a few, this certainly applies to our neighbors. We talked about finding the person of peace and really locking in as you find the person of peace on your block, 
Spend time with them. Don't try to spend your time dividing it eight different ways. Just when you see God working and when someone is really seeking or asking questions, you know God's working. That's your invitation to join him in the work. So certainly investing in a few is important in your neighborhood. So who do you do this with? Well, certainly your neighbors, your friends, your family. But this just should be the way that we live our life. But let me give you the caveat, but we need to be intentional. We need to be intentional in pursuing a few. What did Jesus do? Glad you asked. Jesus has thousands of people following him. We know that because he's feeding thousands of people, like in John 6. They're listening to his teaching. They're affected by his ministry. They encounter deliverance and healing, all kinds of things. I can imagine Jesus is a marvelous storyteller. They keep showing up, right? And yet, there was about 120 at least that we know are like hardcore, I'm following you because he sent them out to do ministry. Passionate followers of Jesus. But then he also chose 12, who he called his disciples. There are many more disciples than just those 12, but we oftentimes lock in on those 12. Why? Because he actually intentionally spent more time. In fact, he spent 24-7 of his time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, for those of you who didn't get that, 365 days a year for three and a half years with these 12 guys, letting them have full access to his life as a rabbi would with his disciples. So Jesus practice the value of communicating and investing in a few. One to few versus one to many. He valued that. If Jesus had an ego problem, he would have been really ticked in John 6. John 6, 66, weird number by the way, um, says from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. That would have been an ego hit to him had he been ego driven. Jesus isn't worried about the crowds. He's not worried about anything, by the way. But he's really intentionally pouring into a small group. That will change the world. And if you heard the message a few weeks ago, it probably was a group of teenage boys. Probably high school age guys. Can you imagine that? That is not a likely group to change the world, but Jesus knew. Jesus shares with the woman at the well. In John 4, in Samaria. And then she tells the entire city about him. He focuses on one. Jesus wants to work through us. He wants to work through the few. He wants us to tell stories about how great he is. He doesn't just show up and go, here's all my glory. So he spends every waking hour with his 12 disciples. Those guys saw... All of it. How cranky he was in the morning or not cranky. What it was like, how tired he was at the end of a day of doing ministry. What life was like. I wonder, that kind of proximity, can you imagine somebody doing, doing life with you three and a half years, 24-7? What they would see in your life? Who is in close proximity to you? It's an issue of proximity is where I'm going. So who's in close proximity to you that they could see your life? I'm not saying you need to invite someone to live in your house for three and a half years. 
But who do you actually allow in the close proximity with you? I just felt really strongly that there are going to be people listening here in the house and on the stream that you have built up walls to protect yourself because you've been wounded before. But those walls are actually keeping you from investing in others. They're also keeping you from receiving love, by the way, an aside. But as it relates to investing, you need to understand when your walls are up and you're not vulnerable, you can't invest. Because investment's not about giving someone more information. This isn't just about teaching a class or dispensing how to do an equation. This is about sharing your life. So are you vulnerable with others? Really like the author Brene Brown. She talks a lot about vulnerability. Just, just a quick quote from her. Vulnerability is not weakness. And that myth is profoundly dangerous. Vulnerability is the birthplace of connection and the path to the feeling of worthiness. If it doesn't feel vulnerable, the sharing is probably not constructive. Let me tell you a little secret. Vulnerability is my secret weapon. It could be yours as well. Every pastor, every leader has something that they do well or it's their thing. Vulnerabilities might. It will destroy strongholds. It will lead to a place of realizing that it's not about you. It will help others see that they don't have to be perfect to be a Christian. It will open the door and give opportunity for people to choose in to faith. Because many of us try to put the smile on and pretend like everything's fine and we're not willing to be vulnerable and we literally push people away from the gospel and from the real thing because they, they look at it and they go, I can't do that, I can't be that, I'm, I, there's no way. And because we pretend to be perfect and everything's okay, people are actually pushed away from the gospel instead of us being willing to be seen for who we are. We're broken people. It's not the, the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. And we are all broken and we're all in a process of healing with Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 2.8, one of my very favorite verses. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well because you had become so dear to us. What do you see in that verse? You're sharing two things. I'm willing to talk about the things of Jesus. I'm, I'm willing to talk about the, the good news of Jesus. I'm not going to be ashamed about the gospel. By the way, we talked about that last week if you need to go listen to that one. But I'm also not afraid to share my life as well. And this is what you did well, Prohotas. And this is what you did well, Sky, in pouring into college students like me. I could have named so many others. Just happen to be people in the first three rows. If you sit in the first three rows, sorry. Investment looks like sharing your life when it's going well and when it's not going well. 
One of my favorite pastors ever, Paul Rhodes, when he said, I'm, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? That was the most powerful for his daughter, Catherine. That was the most powerful for me. Because finally I could think, I could be like him someday because I know I'm broken just like him because he showed me that he was broken. He wasn't perfect. It didn't make me love him less. It made me love him more. Vulnerability implies allowing others to get close enough to you to see your brokenness, your struggles, and the fact that you're not perfect. And while I don't, I don't recommend you hanging out all your dirty, dirty laundry for everybody, use your discretion. I do think that Christians who fake happiness and act perfect are just pushing people away from Jesus. So if you're going to invest, it's got to be with the gospel and your life as well. So Jesus chose three of the 12 to be even closer. You know about these guys, right? Peter, James, John. Why is Andrew left out of this? I have a personal issue with this. Andrew's the brother of Peter and James and John are, Peter, uh, are brothers. It just seems like he should be included. But I don't think it was ever about the other guys being offended or being jealous, or feeling left out. This is about raising up leaders. These three guys, Peter, James, John, they end up on the Mount of Transfiguration. What is that? It's Mount Tabor. That's a picture, by the way, a very early picture before there was anything built there. Now, of course, they built the church on top of it and all that stuff, so it kind of ruins the picture. But the idea is that Mark 9, verses 2 through 10, I don't know if you've ever looked at these verses, but after six days, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, his Closest three guys with him, let him up high on a mountain. The other nine guys, they're going to have to stay on the, on, the, on the valley. And where they were alone. And there he was transfigured for them. What, before them. What does that mean? His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. That's white. And there appeared before him Elijah and Moses. Whoa, now it's getting real. Who were talking with Jesus. How much do you want to hear that conversation? Real bad. I want to see that video when I get to heaven. Peter says, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let's build three temples and just stay here. He didn't know what to say. It says, they were so frightened. And then a cloud appeared and enveloped them. And a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. It's the father saying, hey, you three knuckleheads, make sure you get this. Listen to my son. This is making a huge impression. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one, anyone except for Jesus. And they were coming down the mountain. Jesus told them, gave them orders to tell, not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing rising from the, what rising from the dead means. Some of you probably skipped right over those verses. What's going on here? Jesus is cho choosing these three guys. These are the same three guys that he has tried to stay awake and pray with him in the garden. Why? Because he's raising up three leaders. Peter is going to, most of us believe, dictate the book of Mark. By the way, that's why that story gets in there. To Mark. He is 
one of the key leaders in the church, the early church. John, he's my favorite, by the way, if you, if you wanted to know. He goes on to write 20%, 20.5 to be precise, of the New Testament. Amazing. James ends up becoming a key leader and an early martyr in Jerusalem. These guys need to see Jesus in all of his glory. This is leadership development, by the way. This is what it looks like. It means if you are a leader and you're developing other leaders, you take other prospective leaders or junior partners or apprentices along with you. Young Life used to have a phrase, if you go there, take a kid. It's a good, that's, that's a good phrase. So that's a little bit of how Jesus made, made disciples, how he helped others be shaped by God by introducing them to ministry, empowering them, sharing his life with him, being vulnerable. Another example of a leader in, in the New Testament pouring his life into others, I'm just gonna share this real briefly, as they were going, intentionally investing, is Barnabas. Now, if you don't know Barnabas, he's introduced to us in Acts 4, verse 36. Joseph, this is his real name, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So we see right out of the gate, one way to invest in others for kingdom purposes is to give your money. We saw a wonderful example of that in our friend Stephen earlier. Gifts, prayer, investing. Well, next time we see Barnabas, Acts 9. What's happened here is a guy named Saul, who is a Pharisee of all Pharisees in Jerusalem, is going around killing Christians, rounding them up. Paul goes to, is heading on the road to Damascus, and Jesus encounters him on the road. And along the way, he says, yes, I'm all in, Jesus. And he begins following Jesus. But he's got a reputation problem. And Acts 9, verse 26, when Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him. Well, of course, not believing he was a disciple. They're thinking this guy is a double agent. Verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord has spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. So Barnabas uses encouragement as an investment tool. Don't miss that. An encouraging word sometimes is what's gonna get somebody through whatever they're facing. An encouraging word sometimes is a word, a prophetic word from the Lord that gives someone strength to be able to, to push through knowing that there's something better coming. Encouragement is so important for courage. But there's also sponsorship here. He goes, Barnabas goes, hey, he's with me. Have you ever been in a VIP situation where you know you don't really belong. I found myself backstage at a concert one time and I was like, I don't think I belong here. And Chuck, the guy who was in the band and on the stage, grabbed me around the, the neck and my wife and I and pulled, pulled us over and said, these are my friends and I want you to meet all the people in the band. It was sponsoring us, saying this is okay. It's okay, you belong here. 
because you can sense when other people don't feel like they belong. So this looks like opening doors. This looks like making recommendations. This means intentional leadership development and mentoring. Right now, in a little room on the other side of that wall, there is some mentoring going on because we have a separate audio stream for our feed that gets mixed in another room. And we've had one guy who's been so faithful, Bob Lilly, who if you see him, buy his coffee next time you see him. Just love on him. He's been such a faithful like servant and he's great at making the audio on the, the, on the stream sound great. But he says, we've got to raise up other people. So behind that wall right now is Chelsea. Hi, Chelsea. And Chelsea is learning from Bob how to do this. This is his, her second Sunday doing audio on the stream. But it's because Bob was intentional. And he has taken his hands off the dials and he's letting Chelsea pull all the but- push all the buttons and pull all the dials. I don't know what it looks like for you to be intentional to raise others up or give them an opportunity. I know for me, it's been very important for our youth pastor, Chris Ballant, to have opportunities to preach. Why? Because this is part of his leadership development. And if you heard Chris preach recently, do you just see more confidence and more, it's just, it's him being him. And that's what we want from anybody who brings the word. So this is intentional leadership development opening doors. Well, just kind of continuing with Barnabas, in Acts 11, the church in Antioch begins to grow And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And news of this reached even to the the church of Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. He goes, this is our best guy. We're going to send him to Antioch. And so Barnabas is a good man, it says, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Great number of people were being brought to the Lord. And then verse 25, take a look at this. But Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So he goes, hey, there's a need. I know a guy. So he goes to where Saul is and he goes, hey, we need you. We need your gifts. Come on, come with me. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. When we invest in others, oftentimes it means that we look for an opportunity and say, I know a guy. Hang on just a second. Looking to empower another person to see their gifts be used for God. Or even in this case, sharing Jesus with someone or teaching together. Now, the shoes that I'm wearing are not normal Andrew Burchett stage shoes, if you will. And they are fancy tennis shoes, really, I would call them, right? I don't normally wear fancy tennis shoes on the stage. It was three years ago this week as we had hundreds of people evacuated here after the fire, that a pastor named Nate from Reading came down, said, I want to take you to lunch. I want to buy you some shoes. What's wrong with my shoes? Dude, nothing wrong with your shoes. You need new shoes though. Okay. So he takes me to the fancy tennis shoe store and gets these amazing shoes for me. He said, Andrew, because this is a new season, you need new shoes to walk into your new season. It was encouragement, but in this case, it came as in the form of a gift and a reminder that every time I wear these shoes, I'm walking in a new season, and this is a new season. Well, 
There are many other ways that we can walk together as spiritual guides. I know that we just did boot camp and we had guides or coaches for our boot camp. This skill of coaching, this listening and drawing out is a key, is a key skill that we continue to teach people at Neighborhood Church and we'll run that again next year. But along the way, this is about coming alongside others and saying things over and over. You know, it's interesting. I do a lot of funerals and I meet with families. It's one of the things I always do. I meet with the family, hear stories. And more than once, I heard people say, you know, he told this story over and over and over and I, I never really liked it when, I, when he was alive because I felt like, dad, I've already heard this story. But now that he's gone, I'm so glad he told the story over and over because I can remember it. If my kids hear me say one more time driving down the midway, what are those trees? What are those trees? They'll probably, you know, they don't want to have to answer what's the difference between walnuts and almonds. But I want them to learn that. Now that's a silly example. But the truth is, frequency is so important. If we're investing in others, we got to keep saying the same things over and over because they don't get it the first time. And by the way, for those of us who are listening and hearing, you've got an option. When you hear something that you're like, you don't think I know this already? You're so tempted to be offended. You have an opportunity. You can either be offended or you can let it make you feel smart. I knew that already. <laughs> How about that? Look at me. Way too many of you get offended. What do you mean? I already know that. Great. Know it again. Frequency is incredibly important in communication. If you want someone to really get it, if you want to really invest in them. And this idea of being mothers and fathers. I take my, my daughter Mimi out to play golf and we go out with our friend Mark Burns. And I said, Mark, if you've got a couple coaching tips for her, go for it. And he so graciously came alongside and said, try this, do this. I love that. I love the fact that others are pouring into my kids and pouring into me. Well, as we close, years ago, uh, there was this sophomore girl and we said, she needs a job and we need a nanny. And so we hired this little girl named Kate and had three, little, three kids and Mimi was just a tiny. And she loved on our kids and we loved on her. We made sure we paid her more than we should. Just kept investing and we kept investing and we keep investing in Kate and her husband, Ian. And now Ian and Kate hire Mimi to babysit their daughter. And they're going to provide a space for her to raise an FFA animal this year and teach her other things. And they're investing in our girl. This is what the kingdom looks like. It says I'm willing to spend time. It means that I'm gonna, it's going to be inconvenient. 
but my greatest joy is investing in others. It's the only thing that's gonna last, you guys. The rest of it's all gonna burn. If you'd stand, I just wanna invite the prayer team to come up. And as we close this series, um, it's just my heart that this attitude of vulnerability would mark our congregation. That we would be a people that would be really soft. We would be really teachable. And we would be really free to share what we have, the gospel and our life as well. So Jesus, make us a generous people, generous of heart, generous with our money, generous with our time, generous with our energy. Make us, help us to walk into a vulnerable place of sharing our lives with others. Lord, thank you that you designed us to pour into others and be poured into. I pray for a network of relationships to begin this season that would be sweet and beautiful. In Jesus' name. Great. Thanks so much for coming. If you're in the house, if you want to join us to set up Christmas trees, I think maybe 15, 20 minutes max. It's not even heavy stuff. It's just it needs a bunch of hands to be able to move it out. Otherwise, we'll see you next week.